Chapter 26, Part 2 of Struggles and Triumphs, or 40 Years Recollections of P.T. Barnum, written by himself. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Gary B. Clayton. Struggles and Triumphs of P.T. Barnum, Chapter 26, Clouds and Sunshine, Part 2. But the manifestations of sympathy which came to me from Bridgeport, where my home had been for more than ten years, were the most gratifying of all because they showed unmistakably that my best friends, those who were most constant in their friendship and most emphatic in their esteem, were my neighbors and associates who, of all people, knew me best. With such support, I could easily endure the attacks of traducers elsewhere. The New York Times, April 25, 1856 under the headline of Sympathy for Barnum, published a full report of the meeting of my fellow citizens of Bridgeport the previous evening to take my case into consideration. In response to a call headed by the mayor of the city and signed by several hundred citizens, this meeting was held in Washington Hall, quote, for the purpose of sympathizing with P.T. Barnum Esquire in his recent pecuniary embarrassments, and of giving some public expression to their views in reference to his financial misfortunes, end quote. It was the largest public meeting which, up to that time, had ever been held in Bridgeport. Several prominent citizens made addresses, and resolutions were adopted declaring, quote, that respect and sympathy were due to P.T. Barnum in return for his many acts of liberality, philanthropy, and public spirit, end quote, expressing unshaken confidence in his integrity, admiration for the, quote, fortitude and composure with which he has met reverses into which he has been dragged through no fault of his own, except a too generous confidence in pretended friends, end quote, and hoping that he would, quote, yet return to that wealth which he has so nobly employed and to the community he has so signally benefited. During the evening, the following letter was read. New York, Thursday, April 24, 1856. William H. Noble, Esquire. Dear Sir, I have just received a slip containing a call for a public meeting of the citizens of Bridgeport to sympathize with me in my troubles. It is headed by His Honor the Mayor, and is signed by most of your prominent citizens, as well as by many men who by hard labor earn their daily bread, and who appreciate a calamity which at a single blow strips a man of his fortune, his dear home, and all the worldly comforts which years of diligent labor had acquired. It is due to truth to say that I knew nothing of this movement until your letter informed me of it. In misfortune, the true sympathy of neighbors is more consoling and precious than any which money can purchase. This voluntary offering of my fellow citizens, though it thrills me with painful emotions and causes tears of gratitude, yet imparts to me renewed strength and fills my heart with thankfulness to Providence for raising up to my sight, above all this wreck, kind hearts which soar above the sordid atmosphere of, quote, dirty dollars, end quote. I can never forget this unexpected kindness from my old friends and neighbors. I trust I am not blind to my many faults and shortcomings. I, however, do feel great consolation in believing that I never used money or position to oppress the poor or wrong my fellow men, and that I never turned empty away those whom I had the power to assist. My poor sick wife, who needs the bracing air which our own dear home, made beautiful by her willing hands, would now have afforded her, 
is driven by the orders of her physician to a secluded spot on long island where the sea wind lends its healthful influence and where i have also retired for the double purpose of consoling her and of recruiting my own constitution which through the excitement of the last few months has most seriously failed me in our quiet and humble retreat that which i most sincerely pray for is tranquillity and contentment i am sure that the remembrance of the kindness of my bridgeport neighbors will aid me in securing these cherished blessings no man who has not passed through similar scenes can fully comprehend the misery which has been crowded into the last few months of my life but i have endeavored to preserve my integrity and i humbly hope and believe that i am being taught humility and reliance upon providence which will yet afford a thousand times more peace and true happiness than can be acquired in the din strife and turmoil excitements and struggles of this money-worshipping age the man who coins his brain and blood into gold who wastes all of his time and thought upon the almighty dollar who looks no higher than blocks of houses and tracts of land and whose iron chest is crammed with stocks and mortgages tied up with his own heartstrings may console himself with the idea of safe investments but he misses a pleasure which i firmly believe this lesson was intended to secure to me and which it will secure if i can fully bring my mind to realize its wisdom i think i hear you say quote, when the devil was sick the devil a saint would be but when the devil got well the devil a saint was he End quote. granted but after all the man who looks upon the loss of money as anything compared to the loss of honor or health or self-respect or friends a man who can find no source of happiness except in riches is to be pitied for his blindness i certainly feel that the loss of money of home and my home comforts is dreadful that to be driven again to find a resting place away from those i love and from where i had fondly supposed i was to end my days and where i had lavished time money everything to make my descent to the grave placid and peaceful is indeed a severe lesson but after all i firmly believe it is for the best and though my heart may break i will not repine i regret beyond expression that any man should be a loser for having trusted to my name it would not have been so if i had not myself been deceived as it is i am gratified in knowing that all my individual obligations will be met it would have been much better if clock creditors had accepted the best offer that it was in my power to make them but it was not to be it is now too late and as i willingly give up all i possess i can do no more wherever my future lot may be cast i shall ever fondly cherish the kindness which i have always received from the citizens of bridgeport i am my dear sir truly yours p t barnum shortly after this sympathetic meeting a number of gentlemen in bridgeport offered me a loan of fifty thousand dollars if that sum would be instrumental in extricating me from my entanglement i could not say that this amount would meet the exigency i could only say quote, wait wait and hope end quote. meanwhile my eyes were fully open to the entire magnitude of the deception that had been practiced upon my too confiding nature i not only discovered that my notes had been used to five times the amount i stipulated or expected but that they had been applied not to relieving the company from temporary embarrassment after my connection with it but almost wholly to the redemption of old and rotten claims of years and months gone by to show the extent to which the fresh victim was deliberately bled 
It may be stated that I was induced to become surety to one of the New Haven banks in the sum of $30,000 to indemnify the bank against future losses it might incur from the Jerome Company after my connection with it, and by some ledger domain this bond was made to cover past obligations which were older even than my knowledge of the existence of the company. In every way it seemed as if I had been cruelly swindled and deliberately defrauded. As the clock company had gone to pieces and was paying but from 12 to 15 percent for its paper, I sent two of my friends to New Haven to ask for a meeting of the creditors, and I instructed them to say in substance for me as follows, quote, Gentlemen, this is a capital practical joke. Before I negotiated with your clock company at all, I was assured by several of you, and particularly by a representative of the bank, which was the largest creditor of the concern, that the Jerome Company was eminently responsible and that the head of the same was uncommonly pious. On the strength of such representation solely, I was induced to agree to endorse and accept paper for that company to the extent of $110,000, no more. That sum I am now willing to pay for my own verdancy, with an additional sum of $40,000 for your, quote, cuteness, making a total of $150,000, which you can have if you cry quits with the fleeced showman and let him off, end quote. Many of the old creditors favored this proposition, but it was found that the indebtedness was so scattered it would be impracticable to attempt a settlement by a unanimous compromise of the creditors. It was necessary to liquidation that my property should go into the hands of assignees. I therefore at once turned over my Bridgeport property to Connecticut assignees, and I removed my family to New York where I also made an assignment of all my real and personal estate, excepting what had already been transferred in Connecticut. About this time, I received a letter from Philadelphia proffering $500 in case my circumstances were such that I really stood in need of help. The very wording of the letter awakened the suspicion in my mind that it was a trick to ascertain whether I really had any property, for I knew that banks and brokers in that city held some of my Jerome paper which they refused to compound or compromise. So I at once wrote that I did need $500, and, as I expected, the money did not come, nor was my letter answered. But, as a natural consequence, the Philadelphia bankers who were holding the Jerome paper for a higher percentage at once succeeded to the terms which I had announced myself able and willing to pay. Every dollar which I honestly owed on my own account I had already paid in full or had satisfactorily arranged. For the liabilities incurred by the deliberate deception which had involved me, I offered such a percentage as I thought my estate, when sold, would eventually pay, and my wife, from her own property, advanced from time to time money to take up such notes as could be secured upon these terms. It was, however, a slow process. More than one creditor would hold on to his note, which possibly he had shaved at the rate of 2 or 3% a month, and say, quote, Oh, you can't keep Barnum down. He will dig out after a while. I shall never sell my claim for less than par and in interest, end quote. Of course, I knew very well that if all the creditors took this view, I should never get out of the entanglement in which I had been involved by the old creditors of the Jerome Company, who had so ingeniously managed to make me take their place. All I could do was to take a thorough survey of the situation and consider, now that I was down, how I could get up again. 
Quote, every cloud, unquote, says the proverb, quote, has a silver lining, unquote, and so I did not despair. This blow, I thought, may be beneficial to my children, if not to me. They have been brought up in luxury, accustomed to call on servants to attend to every want, and almost unlimited in the expenditure of money. My daughter, Helen especially, was naturally extravagant. She was a warm-hearted, generous girl, who knew literally nothing of the value of money and the difficulty of acquiring it. At this time she was fifteen years old and was attending a French boarding school in the city of Washington. A few days after the news of my failure was published in the papers, my friend, the Reverend Dr. E. H. Chapin of New York, was at my house. He had long been intimate with my family and was well acquainted with the extravagant ideas and ways of my daughter Helen. One morning I received a letter from her, filled with sympathy and sorrow for my misfortunes. She told me how much shocked she was at hearing of my financial disasters and added, quote, Do send for me immediately, for I cannot think of remaining here at an expense which my parents cannot afford. I have learned to play the piano well enough to be able to take some little girls as pupils, and in this way I can be of some assistance in supporting the family, end quote. On reading this, I was deeply affected, and handing the letter to Dr. Chapin, I said, there, sir, is a letter which is worth $10,000. Quote, 20000 at least, end quote, was the exclamation of the doctor when he had read it. We were now living in a very frugal manner in a hired furnished house in 8th Street near 6th Avenue in New York, and our landlady and her family boarded with us. At the age of 46, after the acquisition and the loss of a handsome fortune, I was once more nearly at the bottom of the ladder and was about to begin the world again. The situation was disheartening, but I had energy, experience, health, and hope. End of chapter 26, part 2. Recording by Gary B. Clayton.